Welcome everyone. I'm Kevin Miller and this is the Ziggler show inspired by the grandfather of inspiration himself, Zig Ziggler. Our focus here is you and your personal development. The way to have more tomorrow is to become more today. So we bring you the best of today's world influencers and their unique messages and discover how we can all apply new and classic methodologies of personal growth to our lives. In this episode, the focus is the fallacy of being a natural. I mean, truthfully, don't you assume naturally assume people who are the best at what they do or just, you know, naturals at it. It came easy to some degree. Yet we have so many stories of people who had no natural ability and performed at a very low level, but trained themselves up into a level of expertise, even mastery. I mean, in a stark example, we have someone like James Earl Jones with one of the most recognized voices in the entire world who was almost mute as a child for eight years, thanks to a severe stutter. And they didn't think he'd ever speak well. Well, and not on that drastic a note, but in this show, I bring you a message from Zig Ziglar explaining his desire to enter sales solely due to a financial incentive and had to talk the company into hiring him. They didn't think he would be a good salesperson. And he spent the next two years, he says, proving that they were right and languishing as a very poor salesman. It's an entertaining story, of course, but it really puts into perspective the reality that often the masters did not start off with some advantage. They simply applied themselves, learned, and trained, which opens the doors for all of us to pursue even those things that may not initially come naturally, and we may even initially be pretty poor. So I am going to bring you this clip from Zig. I think it's about eight minutes long, and then we'll get into the Q&A with Tom Ziegler, who's going to join me right after we share some great products and resources we think will be of value to you from our show sponsors. Got in the Navy, met that little redhead, and then a lot of things changed about my plans. 1946, I was going to the University of South Carolina. Uncle Sam had sent me up there as part of the training program. When they discharged me, I decided to go back up there. And in 1946, in November, we got married. I was selling sandwiches around the dormitories at night to finance the marriage and to finance my education. I'd go in about nine o'clock at night. I conceived the idea, bought me a little grocery card and I'd load up the milk and the sandwiches and the coffee cakes and uh, I'd go by and sell them. Did extremely well during the regular school year. But when summertime came, the enrollment dropped to less than one-third of what it had been before. No air-conditioned dormitories. The guys and girls started going out at night to get their little snacks. And I had to look for something else to do financially. The redhead saw an ad in the paper where they wanted a $10,000 a year salesman. Well, we took that to mean providential influence that they wanted a $10,000 salesman. Because we wanted the $10,000. I mean, it just seemed like too much of a coincidence. I went down and applied for the job. It was in direct sales, selling cookware on a person-to-person basis, on a commission, I had to buy my samples. But they did not believe I could sell. They turned me down. It took me two full months to convince them that they should at least give me a chance. 
They finally gave me a conditional chance. They said, we'll put you through the week of training. And if at the end of the training, we think you can sell, then we will give you the contract. But they wouldn't even tell me what the commission was or anything else. They really did not think I could do it. At the end of the week, I guess they figured they had nothing to lose now. So they gave me the contract. And for the next two and a half years, all I did was prove they had been right to start with. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't sell a lot because I did. I I sold my furniture, sold my car. (laughs) That's awfully close to the truth. I have had my lights turned out. I got there in time for them to turn them back on. I gave them a check. I've had my telephone disconnected again. Fortunately, I happened to be stopping by and I had just enough money so they could reconnect that uh, telephone. Uh, I've gone down the grocery line, folks, and misfigured and have to put a loaf of bread back. And that's when bread was a dime a loaf. I bought my gasoline 50 cents worth at a time. I never will forget the day uh, that I had 50 cents in my pocket that old 40 model Studebaker I was driving quit running. Now, I didn't know why I figured it was, but I thought maybe it was the points. And the reason I say I don't know why I thought it was, because I had a mechanical bypass when I was very young. And I, I, I don't understand anything mechanically. I stopped right in front of a mechanic's uh, little uh, shade tree shop. And I told him, I said, sir, my car quit running. Let me tell you before you even raise the hood, I've got 50 cents. That's all I've got to my name, but I sure need my car running. If you would just look at it. Well, he looked at it. Sure enough, it was the points. He reset them, and I was off. I literally have done that. When my first daughter was born, the hospital bill was $64. I didn't have $64. I had to get out and make two sales before I could even get my own daughter out of the hospital. I'm here to tell you, I know what it is to be broke. For two and a half years, this happened. One time, I was doing so miserably, I asked Bill Cranford, my sales manager, I said, Bill, go with me, find out what I'm doing, help me, Uh, I've got to make some sales. Well, he went with me on a call when it was over. I said, well, Bill, what do you think? He said, well, Zig, let me ask you, what are you selling? I said, Bill, you know what I'm selling. He said, yeah, I know, but don't you think you should have told that lady? (laughs) I said, Bill, it wasn't that bad. He said, come on, let's go to the training. We went to the training room. He had one of those old WebCore wire recorders. How many of you have ever seen one of those suckers? All right. He recorded my talk. It was a 19-minute presentation. I owed 180 seven times. I, uh, well, uh, uh, uh. You cannot believe. I mean, I counted it three times, ladies and gentlemen. And I emphasize that because as you probably recognize today, I'm the fastest draw in the West. Now, what I'm really saying is you really can change. The other people were putting on group demonstrations where they bought the food, got a hostess to sponsor the demonstration. They'd bring in the food, give the hostess a premium and sell to the prospects. I wanted to do that, but I had three basic problems. Number one, I didn't have the money to buy the groceries or the premium. Number two, I did not know the first thing about cooking. And number three, I had never seen a demonstration. 
But with the confidence that generally goes with ignorance, I figured I could do it. I heard of a Mrs. B.C. Moore who lived at 2210 High Street on the corner of Colonial Drive, and I can see that home as clearly in my mind today as I could that day. White two-story frame house, no air conditioning, no insulation, and it's August. It is brutally hot. She had a set of our cookware, didn't like it because she didn't know how to use it. I said, Ms. Moore, I'll make a deal with you. I will teach you how to use that set of cookware if you will invite in two prospects and if you will buy the food for the demonstration. She said, it's a deal. She invited Mrs. M.P. Gates, who lived down the hill, Mr. and Mrs. Clarence Spence, who was her sister and brother-in-law, who were living with her while their home was being built, and they invited Dr. and Mrs. M.P. Gay. He was a dentist who had a set of the cookware. He didn't like it either because they didn't know how to use it. I put on the demonstration. Apparently, it was at least satisfactory. I didn't burn anything. When it was over, Mrs. Spence made a five-minute speech. She went into great detail about how tough times were, about how they were building a house, about how they were in debt, how they were struggling to make ends meet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My heart got heavier and heavier as she was talking. But she said, you know, I'm always in debt. We're always broke. If I don't go ahead and get this heavy and nice set of cookware right now, I never will be able to get it. She said, I'll take it. Mrs. Gates took her cue from Mrs. Spitz. She too made a five-minute speech. I don't know whether they were trying to impress me or their husbands or their hostess or whatever. She made the same speech but wound it up the same way and said, I'll take it. Now, folks, let me repaint the scene. Here I am, so broke that if it didn't cost but 50 cents to go around the world, I couldn't have gotten out of sight. There are two ladies with their money in their hot little hands saying, I'll take it. What would you have done under those circumstances, anybody? Write them up. Guess what old Zig did? Scout's honor. I looked at my watch and I said, ladies, I'd like the best in the world to sell you that set of cookware, but I can't. I've got another appointment and I'm running late now. I'm going to have to go and see them. With two ladies with their money in their hot little hands saying, I'll take it. I said, oh, no, you won't. I got something important to do. And out of there, I scooted. Now, when I got to the other appointment, obviously they were not there. But here's my question. How many of you in your dumbest, greenest day, if you got sense enough to get out of a telephone booth without written directions on the side, how many of you would ever have done such a thing as that? Now, what I'm trying to say is, friend, there is hope for you. Well, Tom, this topic that your dad and his message that we just heard laid out so well, I, I just think is a big deal because I do really think that we inherently as a culture tend to look at people who are good at something or even more so people that are great at something and think, well, they were probably born to do that. They probably had a natural inclination, natural ability. It came to them easily. And that we have so many stories of, of, of masters, I'll, I'll call them, who that absolutely wasn't true. Uh, so we'll get into, I want to get into the details and we'll do that through reading people's uh, stuff. But uh, I, of course, as I normally do, I throw, I'll throw it at you and say, is there something that you became, whatever, I'll let you say what level, proficient, expert, master, whatever, uh, that initially it did not just fall in your lap, you know, run along smooth sailing and kind of came easy to you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Kevin, for me, you know, the, the big one, the obvious one to me is, is my speaking. Uh, 
uh, boy, talk about anxiety and nervousness and just all the things that go along. And I look back at some of the old videos and I cringe and yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, and what's interesting is that people in the room with me at the time, because it, it was my passion and it was what I believed, they were still getting value out of it. Uh-huh. But I look back at it and I go, Oh, those poor people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I wouldn't put myself, uh, in the, you know, super expert category and it always uh, pleasantly surprises me when people come up at the end and say, wow, that was fantastic. You know, yeah. you really connected. And, but the thing was, is my challenge, uh, and this is a big deal for everybody. A lot of times the first block is a mental mindset block. It's not a, do I have the natural talent or gift to go and do it? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it's a mindset block. Now there's some things where you, you know, the, the talent, the gift really helps like for MBA or something like that. Uh, but a lot of times it's the mindset that keeps you from going the first time. So that's the thing that I had to overcome first was that the mindset of it. Uh, that's, that's great. You know what? I'm going to start in with some of the questions cause there's a couple of them that'll bring us right back to that, to mindset where you may have, the natural, you may have some talent, ability, some gifting in there, but if you don't have the mindset, man, what a huge deficit that is. Okay. Well, hey, we'll get into it. So, uh, first one here, Becky Miranda, she says, uh, running. I always had so much respect for people running who ran. I cheer them on from my car. I even had dreams that I was a runner, but I thought people were born that way and never having been athletic. I didn't think I was one of them. I lost 80 pounds and started running when I was 40 years old. I'm 46 now, and it is my soul mate workout. Uh, that, that athletic people who think others are athletic, they aren't or whatever like that is something that you're born with. You know, it's interesting. I mean, what kid is born and early on, we say they, they are, they are or are not athletic. I mean, a little kid, I mean, you don't even say that they're, they're little and they just by proxy are running, jumping, climbing. That's what they do. And then at some point they continue it or not, whatever. And I think that's so often when we give them that term, they're athletic. Most of, uh, I have one, I have two sons, Tom, um, Ian and Canyon, uh, 13 or no, let's see, 14 and 13. Ian gets billed as the athletic one and Canyon does not. And yet when we do something, Canyon is just as proficient, but he doesn't like it. It's not something he wants to pursue. Now he knows, you know, the need to be exercising and to do things like that, but that's not what he enjoys. Ian does has nothing to do with the inherent ability. It has to do with what they're, you know, what they are or not doing and what they do and do not, uh, enjoy. So I think so much. So often that comes into it. So to Becky here, I mean, who can't relate to that? Yeah. And you know, what's funny is our mindset a lot of times is positioned by, we see somebody who we just see the end result, right? That runner who we applaud, they've Mm -hmm. been running for years and, you know, it's just been part of their habit. And then we compare ourselves to that. And that's like, to me, that's the first mindset challenge that we have is success is not what we do compared to what others do it's it's success is what we do with the abilities that god gave us yeah right that's how we need to compare ourselves and so when you look at that situation of running it's uh 
wow, you know, how much better could I be in a week if I just did some walks and some runs just four or five times this week, just starting off five or 10 minutes. Yeah. And then we start judging ourselves on our progress and our commitment to consistency. And then before you know it, you're in love with running at 46 and you're thinking to yourself, why did I wait? Gosh, and you know what, Tom, I didn't even have this in mind. Uh, that's why I love these Q and a shows because it kind of organically happens, but we thinking, I'm thinking back to school time and stuff. And we're so often in that environment pushed towards the things that we are, that we do tend to naturally be good at. And yet sometimes it's not the thing that we enjoy. And I look back to that and on the playground, I was at that hard to believe now, uh, cause I'm, I'm not normally one of the biggest people in the room, but I, I was a bigger kid I, and I was fast. So football, the ball sports, I was really good at, it. I was, they, people would say I was naturally good at it. He was the, the gifted athlete. I didn't enjoy it. I went into cycling and a solo sports. I didn't enjoy the ball sports. Other kids who may not have, you know, quote, naturally been as initially uh, successful in it, but they stayed in it. All my buddies stayed in it and played through high school and had their glory, whatever I didn't, I wasn't there. So again, kind of knocking that thing of, even if you're naturally good at it, one, do you need to be, to be a master? And we're saying, no, that was the point of this show. But two, even if you are, doesn't mean it's a thing that you enjoy and want to go after. So that's, that's really what I'm wanting to grapple with here today is that, that aspect of that power of, Oh, naturally gifted because it feeds into this phenomenon that we're in of enamored with superheroes who are given these abilities, you know, that they have nothing to do with. It's just not real life. Um, what were you say? Yeah. Just, you know, once again, we, we, we get influenced by the outside on, yep. you know, on, what it is versus what our potential is. Yes. Right. Just, just constantly. Um, golly. So you were a football stud when you were in, when you were, when you were growing up, I play, I don't know. My parents weren't sports people and stuff, but I, I just, I think it's just the, the norm. I grew up in Kentucky and you know, you play football and suicide football and ba- uh, baseball or were, were pretty consistent ones and did that and did really well. I was pitcher and, uh, lots of home runs, but man, it just, it never gelled with me. I, I, I wasn't my gig. And then I, uh, they built a BMX track in town. I started racing bikes and it's just you, you know, and your own power. And, and not, obviously I'm not the best team player. There's the moral of the story, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I did, I did, you know, eye hand coordination and speed, whatever I did well in it, but man, it wasn't what I enjoyed. That's been a big lesson to me. Just of those, again, that propensity to push, ourselves or to be pushed in those directions that we do tend to naturally be good at. And people can do that and go, gosh, yeah, I was good at, it. I was good at accounting all my life and 20 years into it realized man, I, I just, I have no joy, zero, nada. I always wanted to do this that I didn't know if I had any natural ability. So there's what's on the table, natural ability. You know, Kevin, I read a study. I can't even remember where I saw it, but they, they looked at like the CEOs of the fortune 500 companies. And the average GPA, and this was years ago, but the average GPA was like around a, a 2.9 or a 3.0. Oh, well, I feel better. Yeah. So, it, But here's the thing. These CEOs all made A's in the subjects they were interested in. Well, that's brilliant. Yes. Right? They did yeah. enough to get by in the things they didn't care about. And so I think that says a lot about where we go in life is mm-hmm. – 
when we understand, hey, where our passion and our interest lies, and then we start applying our natural gifts and talents and energy and effort to that, that's when we excel. Just because you're great at school and great mm-hmm. and get, you know, and doesn't mean that you're going to be a CEO, mm-hmm. right? Obviously. So I thought that was an interesting thing. That's like a, a validation of what we're talking about. I, that's a perfect perspective on this because I had less than zero interest in chemistry. And uh, one year in high school, I got an F for a you know semester or, or a quarter or whatever. <laughs> uh, and yet English, that is, that's where my interest was reading and writing. That is what I did in my off time even. And so that advanced, uh, adva- or, you know, whatever the advanced English course. And I got all A's except for the one quarter where you do the grammar structure crap, which I didn't care about. And I didn't even make an effort. And that was a C that was my entire, I said, well, yeah, it was where my interest is. That's a great point. I did not know that. And now I feel better about my two point. I won't even tell you average. All right. Uh, Barb here, she says, this is, this is interesting, Tom. She says, I have learned many things that I was learned many things that I was bad at, but the most significant has been learning to be kinder with my words. Now talk about some background and this is going to even show us where we're talking about natural ability or not. This is even some programming against a certain direction she ultimately went, which is, I think, even more significant. The most significant, learning to be kinder with my words. I came from a place and from a family where people don't talk to achieve understanding, to learn from one another or cultivate friendship, but rather to try and show that they are right no matter what, to joke or make fun of others and things. I had never... Uh, enjoyed and still don't the way my parents interact. They always seem to be arguing about the pettiest things. My dad going on about how his way is the best and being rather condescending and patronizing about it. Learning how to speak English helped me realize the importance of a polite delivery and to become a much more polite communicator since being such is, is such an integral part of being and speaking English. This in turn helped me change the way I speak in Spanish and the way I relate to others. Once I realized the power that our words have in shaping our reality, I began to look at the way I judged myself and others and tried to correct this by making sure my actions were consistent with my words. I have to say that this journey of self-reflection and a self-improvement has helped me become kinder, sweeter, more tolerant, and super respectful of myself and everyone around me. And it reflects in the quality of my relationships. Boom. How's that? Is that significant? I mean, again, so here's somebody who actually, so she came from a culture. So she's talking about her family, but she's also, also came from a different culture and she realized, man, I, I not only am not even good or been exposed to this, I've been programmed a different direction. So to change that, it's like changing your stars. That's, that's a biggie. You know, this, I just had a, a, a memory. I remember uh, being somewhere and somebody at church prayed in a different language. Mm. And then it just dawned on me. I was so self-centered. I was like, well, you know, clearly God speaks English. <laughs> You're right. Very, Amer- re- very American of you, Tom. Yeah. And then I said, wait a second. He hears everything. And then there's that verse that says the power of death and life mm. is in the tongue. And here is just this great illustration of learning a new language and then figuring out in the process that life and death is in whatever language you speak in. I mean, uh, Barb, you need to write a book on this. I mean, this is like. Yeah, (laughs) she she has a story. I know enough uh, from her that she 
has a story. She often posts in here and has just incredible insight, incredible stories to share. Well, there you, there you go, Barb. So you can hook up with Michelle Prince, uh, on, on your book writing and getting that story out. Tom, here's another one. Uh, this is one you'll appreciate, but I, you know, and I specifically thought with this one about the real estate industry. I don't know if that's what Nicole who, who, who posted here does. Uh, but from my time in the uh, long time ago, real estate and mortgage industry, this was a specific, uh, uh, issue that we focused on. You'll recognize this. So Nicole, Christine, she says the first thing that came to mind was asking for referrals in my business. I always felt so awkward asking, and it terrified me at first. Reaching out to referrals was another scary thing uh, in my business, but I continued practicing the skill. Now it comes naturally. I love working my business through referrals. And I just wrote back, uh, responded back on Facebook. I said, my gosh, asking in general is so hard for so many people, me included. And she wrote back, she said, what really helped me when, when I was asking was using the phrase, introduce me to someone versus, you know, will you give me a referral? It sounded much less threatening. It made me feel more comfortable asking. And once I made that small change in phrasing, I began receiving so many more referrals. So Tom, I was at a real estate and lending marketing conference, uh, again, another lifetime ago, but I'll never forget the guy was on stage and he was talking about referrals and he had a big screen behind him and he showed a picture of kind of your average realtor ad that showed them in their fancy new Cadillac and they'd sold a bazillion dollars and all the success. He said, when we put that stuff up, what you're telling everybody is, man, I'm doing great. I don't really need your help. He says that, you know, I get it. It's not, I'm not trying to, 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 to poke at that. Cause obviously we want to show success that shows credibility and whatnot. We get that, but it's also saying, I don't need your help as opposed to coming around and saying, and his tactic was completely based on uh, focused on referrals in your business of saying, look, I am here and I'm giving you world-class service. Cause I'm not spending my time out there trying to sell strangers. Uh, so this is my marketing as well. I'm serving you and it's my marketing. I rely on you to tell other people about me. Uh, matter of fact, while you're in this process right now, right this moment, and you're thinking about it and talking to other people, you probably have some people I could help. I'd love to, to get in touch with them. Can I get their information right now? Uh, and it was a great process, but it went back again to that asking, which I think, I think in business today, we still tend to do that. This is a social media. This is, this is before social media. Now we're on Facebook, Instagram, everywhere else showcasing how awesome we're doing and, and maybe not asking, uh, for people to give referrals and we're missing out. Absolutely. Uh, Brian Buffini in the, in the real, real estate or, or realtor industry uh, does a lot of coaching. And I think he's got a whole program called, Oh, by the way. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, just that, that idea of, uh, Hey, Oh, by the way. And then, but you know what it is? It's a mindset. Yeah. Um, I was, we were in a, we were doing one of our Ziegler business owner boot camps, and one of the business owners raised their hand because we talked about, two things, uh, asking for referrals and the upsell. So this lady business owner comes back, you know, very smart and had a good business, but it was struggling. And she said, I just have the hardest time asking for referrals. Hmm. And so Howard Partridge just said, well, okay. So what happens if you ask for a referral and they don't give you any. And she was like, well, nothing. Bingo. Well, what happens if you don't ask for a referral? Nothing. (laughs) 
well, what happens if you ask and, and they give you a referral? And so there's only one way to lose yeah. and that's to not to ask. Yeah. But I love the positioning and here's how you help your mindset in these things, uh, whether it's learning a language or asking for a referral. Um, I'll give both examples here. In a referral, I love setting up the conversation at the beginning. Hey, my goal is to create such stellar yes. relationship with you and go above and beyond uh, because almost all of my business is by referral. In fact, you might be a referral. And if they are, I'll let them know. Um, so if I do a great job, whether we do business together or not, would you, you know, if I meet your expectations, would you be willing to refer somebody who might be a perfect fit? That's and I just set the expectation up and then try to meet their, meet that standard rather than make it a surprise uh, for people. For me, this has been a mindset challenge for me and others, especially before I started traveling around the world. We don't, we, we hesitate to learn a new language because we're going to get it wrong. We're going to look stupid. We're, we're not going to be understood. In every country I've ever gone to, as soon as you try to greet them in their language and let them know that you're just learning it and you're so excited to be there, they go above and beyond. It's like, you know, it's, 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 it's like they extend the grace out to you. Hmm. And so the mindset that holds us back is our self-centered feeling of how people are going to respond versus the reality of, not many people do that. Not many people take the time energy to learn a new language or to do these other things. Yeah, that's significant. You are listening to The Ziggler Show, and for that, I'm grateful. I trust what's been shared so far has been of value to you. And next, I read a response from a guy who, for his education and business success, needed to gain some financing skills that did not come easily. So from this, we get into some really valuable issues around that topic. I'll start right back in with Tom answering your responses after I share some great products and services from our show sponsors. Another one, Tom. Alejandro, he says, I failed four times at the accounting topic, uh, in college. I'm an engineer, but I had the chance to run some management topics. I gave a try and later I was stuck to approve the topic or get banned from the university. Later I became a salesman, uh, for Thermo King corporation in Mexico. And I noticed that the bigger, most successful dealership owners were not those with technical degrees, but the ones with finance and management degrees. From there, I became a finance junkie until I got the chance to work in, in, in a business model creation and financing modeling for startups with IPs as the value proposition. I love it. Even though I am a sales guy in a different industry, uh, today I keep performing sales by crushing the financial side of, uh, of my customers for my customers. Uh, you know, again, it just brought me back to it, it just because it doesn't come easy. doesn't mean you can't or shouldn't become a master in this area. So here's a guy, he may say, gosh, I have a natural talent for sales, but he found success in his industry was happening in more of a finance direction. And he's gone there and it, it, it kind of hits close to home right now. Cause Tom, as you know, uh, we're, we've got a, a new alternative, uh, health insurance product, medical cost sharing uh, that we're doing. And it, it's a finance. I mean, the, it's a business of finance, man. I, I am, I am so far removed from a numbers guy or a finance guy, but it happens to be the business that we think will serve a bigger uh, goal that we have of helping people of incentivizing wellness. 
so I'm going that direction. I'm going to learn something that I, I, I am, I am the opposite of naturally inclined for, and I'm having to get help and it's painful, but it, I need it in order to achieve what I want to do. So I'm going to become probably less than moderately proficient, but enough to, enough to make it happen. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> you know, it just reminds me because we've done a lot at Ziegler, you know, we've been in the corporate sales business for years and whenever the economy gets tight or things are kind of going south, uh, the CFO always has a bigger voice in the decision that's being made. And so Alejandro's hit on a sales secret. And that is when you can, when you can understand financially the cost of doing nothing, Mm -hmm. the cost of staying where you are and anchor that versus the opportunity or whatever the new proposition is in and simple doesn't have to be complicated. I see the books that he listed there. Uh, those are great books and not very hard to understand. But the point is, is our heart should be, we want the best outcome for whoever we're serving. Yeah. Right. And if we approach it from that perspective, then that'll help us to learn just enough in a certain area to make us proficient. Yeah. Right. Because at the end of the day, uh, if we miss the opportunity because we didn't know something that our competitor did and we lose the deal and we shake our heads and go, but why ours is better on every area. That's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night. I don't want to lose a deal that's going to rob them of something they could have had. And so that gives me that encouragement, that right mindset to go and dig into something. Not that I have to be like, you know, the Einstein in that category, but just that I have to be able to explain it in a simplified way. Well, you use the word proficient. I think that's a good one that that's not mastery, but is it proficient enough to do what you need to do? I mean, my gosh, that's self-employment and there's no way you can start a business and, uh, and do it without having to come proficient to become somewhat proficient in some areas that you do not enjoy, that you're not gifted and talented in, and that you probably hopefully will not continue as you grow in your business. But day one, you got to wear a lot of hats, if not all of them. And man, our abilities are so significant. And especially in areas where I think we tend to discount ourselves initially that we're not that good. We've never had any exposure. I mean, that again, with athletic stuff and, and the ball sports, and whatever, I've, I've generally been pretty good. Tom, I think I played golf once in my life. Uh, so if you take me out on there, I'm going to be less than proficient. I am going to miss it. I'm going to hook it. I'm going to, I'm going to be terrible. I've not had any exposure and how often do people, you know, just kind of, I, you know, I'm not good at that because if I went out right now and tried for an hour, we would all say, Kevin's not any good right now. I've never had any exposure though. Um, so I haven't even opened the door to what's possible. Oh, have you ever played golf? One time. One time. One time. Yep. Well, well, the next time you play, it will definitely be in the top two games you've ever had. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> that. Now, I was always into speed, so I thought if they ever do like speed golf or full contact golf. Um, they have be... that. Really? They have speed golf. They actually, uh, people will do fundraisers where they you pledge a certain amount per hole. Yeah. And they'll go and play for 12 hours to see how many holes they can get in. And uh, a lot of times they'll just carry like three clubs and yeah. they'll jog, jog between every shot. Dude, I'm into that. If I can do that in my running pants and, and just get a sweat workout. And I think if they put a little full contact in there, like some jousting along with it, with your clubs, I'm, I'm game. 
Uh, all right. Victoria Warner here. She says, uh, this is interesting. Speaking assertively instead of aggressively. I have really set out to learn this the past several years since being promoted to a managing position. I am a leader by nature uh, and an encourager, but when there are issues uh, arise, I turn into, and she has it in quotes, just get it done. I think I'm pretty good at it now, but sometimes it's, uh, it's a lot. It takes a lot not to slip back when situations are tense or time is short. Man, tempering your personal relations habits, that's got to be that's got to be top of the list of something that's just hard for all of us to do. And I get that in, you know, be, for me, it's being interested in people who tell longer stories, which I have a lot of family members who do that. Cause I'm a, I'm a kind of, you know, get to the point bottom line guy and doing that. When my guard is down, I can be a little short with folks. And somebody close to me once said dominating don't like that word. So <laughs> that's a great one though. I mean, you're, this is classic sales skills and personal relationship skills. She's talking about. Yeah, and once again, it's a uh, it's it's a it's a mindset and it's a self awareness self awareness, uh, yeah, perspective. And you know, when we become self aware, and then our goal is to make a difference in in the world and the lives of others, and then it, it's like when I, I tell people, a lot, a lot of parents come to me and they say, "How do I how do I motivate my kids mm-hmm. to 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 whatever you know? Maybe they want to be a uh, a professional or college level athlete in something. And us, and so the way we build that motivation, the way we move them in that direction is, okay, so what is it, what do you have to do to get a scholarship? When you see a 19 year old kid who got a scholarship for whatever sport, what skills did they have? Mm-hmm. What, attributes that they have. Okay. So what are then the habits they had to create in their life to develop that? Cause it just didn't happen one day. They yeah. just didn't walk on without any training. Well, here's the kindness versus assertiveness uh, or assertiveness versus aggressiveness. So your goal was real simple. Your goal was, Hey, I want to, I want to, I want to ra- rise up in leadership, right? I want to I want to be somebody in the organization that people look to me as a trusted leader. Yeah. And so what happened probably, whether it was conscious or subconscious was, well, what does a great leader look like? And so how am I performing today versus how do I need to perform? Ah, that's the skill I need to move on. So it's that combination of, self-awareness. Hey, this is, we call it restraining forces. Hey, this is what's holding me back. I'm coming across as dominating or aggressive. Um, and that's a restraining force. Well, what's a motivating or a driving force? It's, it's the position I want or who I want to become or what I aspire to, whether it's a college athlete on scholarship or whether it's a leadership role in an organization. Okay. So if I get rid of what's holding me back and I start adding in the things that are going to move me forward, all of a sudden my life has a radical change, Yeah, but it really only happens when I'm self-aware and I have a, a perspective that I want to aspire to that Tom. Yeah. The self-awareness thing is, is such a big deal. I mean, you talked about earlier, you know, your growth as a speaker and of course we're always told, well, you guys, you guys do this the first day at Ziggler legacy certification. I think it was the first, it was when I went there at least. Uh, and you videotaped us. We got a topic. I remember mine was playing Frisbee. 
you know, just some goofy topic out of a hat. And I had to make a case for it. I think of, of why it was a good thing to do or whatever, you know, and it's the point is uh, why you find out, uh, quickly you, they record you videotape you and said, okay, let's talk about speaking skills. What do you do? And of course, as soon as they started talking about what they were going to do afterwards, I thought, oh my gosh, I know I wasn't on par. And sure enough, (laughs) man, I'm fidgeting and I'm, I don't know if I was doing the um or likes, you know, I can't remember, but it was not, it was not stellar. And I, and of course I'm there as the, the big Ziggler host. And I think everybody expected me to, you know, knock it out of the park. Nope. Uh, I didn't, but we're taught that to do that in speaking and even here on in podcasting, go back and listen to yourself. And what is the temp, the temp, uh, the pace that you're talking at? Are you doing the, um, errs like, you know, are you talking too fast, which is what I contend to do. And I got to listen to Zig and how he puts that emphasis on the right syllable. And he's just so, you know, <laughs> methodical, uh, and to listen to ourselves, but my gosh, in personal relations, it's very hard unless you have somebody close enough to you who can tell you, or if you ask people, but even there, I've often thought if we had ourselves videotaped or if we even took our recorder on our phones now and just, uh, uh, recorded a conversation with a group of people that we would often realize, Oh my gosh, I do a lot of interrupting or I don't say much, or I, uh, I, 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 you know, I get, get nervous and I kind of stutter when I talk or I listen to my tone. Every time I'm talking to somebody, I have the same kind of demeaning tone, yada, yada, whatever that self-awareness, one of the biggest things, but it's one of the things that we, when you're talking 0.001% of humanity, that's ever that becomes that self-aware makes the effort to become that self-aware. Yep. And, And it's gosh, I don't know. Somebody smarter than me said, it. I don't know who said it, but you know, kind of self-awareness is the beginning of enlightenment. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, that's what we got to do to, in order to go, in order to become, we have to understand who we are. Yep. Man. Hey, here's, here's an interesting one by some lady named Joanne Miller. And if if folks don't, who could that be folks? That's my mom. She says, after devoting decades to being the best mom and supportive spouse, I can attest to that, that I could be, I needed to find something that would feed my soul after the kids were gone. I began to take a drawing class. I found out there was an artist inside me and I never knew, I never knew was there. Now I show and sell my art. And it gave me the confidence to step out in other areas like writing books. She's written two books now and speaking as well as teaching art. I know she's also doing some coaching there, but folks, this is my mom was a 100% stay at home mom, three kids. I was the oldest and she did that until we were all grown and gone. My dad has all Dan Miller has all his businesses and his uh, best-selling books and all that. And then, but what she said here, I found out there was an artist inside of me. Folks, that does not mean she sat down with the first watercolor or wherever she started and did it. And it was great. It was, it was nice, mom. That's really nice. That was, that was about what level it was. It was a desire to do that. She found a fulfillment and that's the only reason she did it. She started taking art classes and investing. It was solely just for her own enjoyment and fulfillment. Now she pursued it. Just, she put her 10,000 hours. If you haven't read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, she started putting her time into it. I don't know. I'd be interesting to ask her. I don't know that she would say, oh yeah, I have a, a natural gift and a natural talent. She says, I enjoy it. I like doing it. And so I put my time 
into it. And now she has progressed to an incredible degree and now it's selling some of her art. And I think even that's just a fulfillment thing. I don't, I don't think they need the money. Uh, and I know they don't, but she enjoys doing that. So a couple different things. Also the fact that she started this thing out of the complete blue at, I'm going to guess she was over 50, if not well over 50. And she found this thing that now she has become a master in it's such a great, it's a great testimony. We hear those once in a while, Tom, just somebody out of the blue. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, what, what is that saying? Well, Joe Saba said, uh, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Yeah. Yeah. And dad used to say, and I think he was quoting somebody else. Uh, the guarantee is this until you take the first step, you'll never take the second step. That's great. <laughs> That's great. You, you know, coming back to athletic stuff again, Tom, um, you know, as a, as a pro cyclist, my skill was sprinting. That's where I was best. And looking back, it's hard for me not to regret a little bit maximizing on that. I had a lot of people say, man, just stick with the shorter races and the sprint. That's where you excel. But, you know, it's Tour de France, man. That's the big, that's the big highlight out there. It's the long races. It's the mountain climbing. And instead of building up my strength for sprinting, I lost a lot of weight so that I could climb well. And I became a pretty good climber at certain times in my career. Wasn't the best, wasn't a master, but pretty good. So I could be in those long races, make it to the end. And if I could make it to the end with the top guys, I could often win the sprint. But it wasn't my natural ability. But, man, it was just what I enjoyed. It's just what I wanted to do. So I left a natural ability to, go, again, go towards something that I wanted to do. You know what? Let, we would be remiss though, Tom, and you talked about this. Uh, it's actually going to be in the show we have with you where we're going through the choose the win book. Uh, and you talk about this and you know what? It's probably a good place to anchor this show with. There is that aspect of looking at, you know, you're knowing yourself, being aware back to what you said, knowing, knowing yourself though, and being aware of where your natural talents and strengths and, and, and whatnot are. Because as we talk about this, there's still the, who said the story about, um, oh gosh, the famous quote about, you know, no matter what, if you're, you know, a duck trying to climb trees, it's going to be really hard. I mean, there does need to be some lining up. Uh, I don't know. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Because in some ways it feels like I'm trying to level out the field and say, Hey, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is you want to do. Hopefully you won't, you don't go towards something that you don't have some general, uh, strengths towards or abilities towards. I don't know, man, I'm, I'm bumbling around this a little bit. You know what I'm getting at? You say it better. Yeah. I think what we're talking about is the difference between worthwhile, uh, personal growth and development and then juxtapose that against uh, what I need to do to provide a source of income or living or subsidence for my life. And here's the thing. Anything that we can do, no matter how horrible we are, if we, if we approach it with the right mindset, the right attitude, we're going to be better at it. Mm -hmm. and We're going to elevate it. We're going to grow in it. I'm a horrible singer, but I know I would enjoy singing more if I got coached on it sure. and I practiced it and but the truth is is I just don't like singing that much and you combine that with no talent that I don't have any desire to go and do that so let's just say there was something that I did have a lot of desire for I can raise my proficiency up to a point to where I might enjoy it more 
but I have to be careful. And this is what I mean by this. I have to be careful that I think I'm going to make my living in something that I just don't have that gift, talent, whatever it is in that area that's absolutely necessary. And of course, I'm talking about a lot of things that are more uh, in the physical world necessarily than maybe in the mental world, um, okay. like athletics or uh, like hand-eye coordination for an artist or things like that. There, there has to be that ability to translate what's in your mind onto the paper and there's some physical nature to that. Uh, and so you, if you look at your gifts and talents and you, and you start honing it in and you hit that plateau, that's the question you've got to ask. Can I make a living doing this? Yeah. So to me, our, our purpose, our big why, this is a general umbrella, is, is we're here to solve problems. We're, we're here to serve and solve the problems that other people have. And then we have some natural things that are part of who we are that make it easier for us to do that in certain areas. Yeah. You know, we could be bent as a, as a leader. We could be bent as more of an outgoing salesperson type. We could be bent as an analytical. And when we start focusing in on our mindset, having the right mindset, and then align it with our gifts and talents, and then take that word grit and applying it in that area, that's when we go to the next level. I actually get um, your, 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 I didn't know that about you as a natural sprinter in cycling. I actually get uh, people who come in and they say, man, I'm just really, really good at this, but I'm kind of burned out. I'm not sure yeah. Yeah. how much further I want to go in it. And I really want to do that. And what I usually try to get them to see is that being, best in class or top in one area is actually a springboard and a platform to everything else. Yeah. Right. Because I'm sure on a, I mean, I don't know anything about cycling, but I'm sure if you were the best in the world sprinter, there might be uh, pacing and things you could do for a, the, the best team in the world <laughs> that would allow you to do both. Right. That yep. That would allow you to, get all the medals in your expertise and share some of the glory that a team might have uh, because of your expertise in that one area. I, you know, people, Chick-fil-A has this comment. They say that when they bring on somebody as an operator, somebody who's going to run a store and they have like 60,000 applications for about a hundred stores a year, all they're looking for, first is a track record, track record of mm, success. Yeah. And so in your life, when you have a passion and a gift and a talent and grit all coming into one, that can be a springboard and a platform for anything else you do. It, it'll, it'll give you momentum. It'll give you credibility, even if it's a parallel field. Well, folks, what you just heard in that whole monologue there by Tom is a great lead. And this is show 718. The next show, 719, we're going to be digging into that because we are going to go through in depth the message of his new book, uh, Choose to Win. And what I was thinking on this too, as you were talking, Tom, is you know, as we look at those things that we want to go forward and, and, and judge somewhat or try to discern, gosh, do I have, you know, do I have any, I may not be naturally gifted in this, but do I have enough 
talents and abilities, you know, to be proficient or expert in this, uh, is being self-aware, uh, obviously, and also asking the question, this is where we start off and show the next show seven nineteen and in, in the choose the win message is why is knowing your why. Cause I think generally I would expect it, that anything you want to go after, if you really want to go after it, you, it's probably cause you do have some ability in that arena. I mean, I, there's no, uh, nothing in me that ever wants to go towards accounting. I am, I am not only, I, I don't think that I'm good with numbers. I, I tend to be really bad and I just don't enjoy it. So why would I want to go uh, that way? If I did, and somebody were to ask me why they'd probably find an errant reason for that. Cause you know, I'm trying to impress a girl or just something goofy. I'm being facetious, but sometimes we can ask that why and find out, gosh, I'm going after that for a really bad reason. And it has nothing to do with what inherently is inside of me. Um, so hopefully though, you're going to find that anything you after you do have, I, I think if somebody's going after something, and they realize, man, I'm terrible at it. I don't like it. And I would question um, your awareness of yourself and, and why you're going after this. Well, again, there, there's a great lead in, folks, for the next show, 719, where we're going to get into some of the things that Tom mentioned, like the why and grit and things of that nature. Well, hey, I appreciate everybody posting here. I hope this did some uh, merit to that perspective that we have, Tom, of, of thinking that people who are really great out there were just, yeah, some superhero who fell into a vat of chemicals and came out supernaturally gifted towards it. <laughs> Probably not again, just like Zig's message at the beginning, brother. Thanks. Good to be with you. All right. Awesome. So is there a career or a position or anything you want to pursue, but you're not a natural at it? Uh, well, go be like Zig, go learn and go train. I hope this really frees a lot of you up, gives you permission to go after something, pursue something without that fallacy of, oh, it just needs to be naturally something that comes good to me in order to go after. Coming up next in episode 719, this is a big show, Choose to Win with Tom Ziegler. So is winning. Is it really a choice? Can you really believe that? The reality is if you are going to win, it will take a whole lot of choices, but the right choices. So which choices are the right ones? Well, that's what this show is about. For 53 years, Tom Ziegler has been privy to a constant influx of the absolute best in personal development, self-help, and best business practices. He's been CEO of Ziegler for 24 years. He's a featured speaker literally around the globe. And now he brings us the first Ziegler book in a while. It's a combination uh, and simplification of all he's been exposed to, learned, and added to in a truly revolutionary way to walk out your personal success. In this show, we talk through the core ingredients of Tom's Choose to Win book and methodology and expound on some of these ingredients that we do have a choice. Uh, we talk about the absolute necessity of having a why, but we get into, it's really interesting and an uh, interesting discussion about the why it doesn't necessarily have to be big, but it has to be strong and intense. Uh, we discuss desire and hope, the right kind of hope, really important grit. And then the how goals, but also then how goals, that word right there only resonates with approximately 20% of the populace. So if you aren't thrilled by goals and motivated to go write out all your goals, you're going to want to hear this and what we come to. Uh, then we discuss the big kahuna of it all, our daily habits and which one 
is most paramount. Tom will literally tell you. Uh, we finished by getting into his next book as well. It's already titled and in the works. Folks, this is a foundational show. It's been a long time coming, and uh, you're going to really get a truckload out of this show. So till then, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. <laughs>